Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to V with Mike G, the show of life, the show of LA, New York, Rochester, New York, Aquarii, I, Tequila, and so much more. Today's guest is the brand manager at Mixwell and also a brand ambassador for Altos Tequila. Just moved to Austin, Texas, Mr. Daniel Warlow, a friend of the industry, has been doing this for quite some time. Born into it, it's in his blood and he's a great guy he brought a bottle of sherry what more could you ask for in a guy he's got great friends in this industry and people really really love him and spending some time sitting down and talking to him i mean he's amazing and you know why he's amazing because his birthday is the same as mine and yes that's right as an aquarius we are very very self-centered hence why i want to hear myself talk right now but i hope you guys enjoy this chat with the legendary friend of the industry mr daniel warlow ended up happening is I, I get to the airport, I get through security, I'm running through the airport, literally like one of those people that's like running, you know, just, no, just, you know, and I always like, I, I spend a lot of time at airports, so I, yeah. I always laugh at the people that are like running. Right. You know, you're like, sitting, oh, you're like, you guys are late. Like, oh man, you just, you should have prepared it. I'm yeah. like running and I sprint up to the gate and the woman is like, what's your last name? And I'm like, Warlow. She's like, well, I've been waiting for you. And I'm oh, like, I'm sorry. God. So they, I get on the plane. I'm like, yes, I made it. No problem. We take off. And next thing you know, I'm like. Oh, oh shit! Where's yep? Okay, I left it at the, the TSA. The TSA checkpoint. Yeah. yeah. So man. yeah. So luckily, so I flew into Austin with no wallet. So I have no credit card. I have no yeah. IDs. I have nothing. I can't check in my hotel. And so I called a good friend of mine. And I was like, "Hey, can I crash on the couch?" Yeah. And just like we'll figure it out. And then the next day, I Venmoed him like five hundred bucks to give me cash so yeah, I could yeah, like yeah. get to the process. Then I get spend two days in Austin. Fly home. Luckily, I had my passport so I can get on the plane. Okay, good. Fly home. And then the next day, I flew through Atlanta to go back to Rochester. So I just hopped off the plane and got it. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just, it's how powerless we're, we are without a credit card <laughs> or a driver's license. It's, I don't like that. Your hands are tied. Yeah. Yeah. The credit card thing, especially because, you know, traveling, you can't check into a hotel without a credit card. I didn't even think about that yeah. part of it. It's impossible. But luckily, I think you've got a nice collection of friends throughout yeah. the United States. Oh, man. it was I was so fortunate. But it was also one of those, like, uh, you know, I had a four-hour layover. So I was like, okay, yeah, I could totally go grab a couple drinks, hit a couple bars in Atlanta, right. get back. Which I had done once before with the three-hour layover in San Francisco. I went to Tommy's Mexican restaurant. Oh, yeah. Two margaritas. Massive. Yeah, and then got back on a plane. So That's it was not bad. Now I know to just watch my time. Yeah. A little better. It's hard. Well... I'm glad that you went through all of that for me. <laughs> I'll take, I won't take any credit, but yeah. it's, it's been a, an interesting back and forth, and I think it's always fortuitous how things end up. But the thing, speaking of fortuitous things, I I don't know what year you were born, but we have the same birthday. February 4th? February 4th. That's awesome. Dustin yeah. Dan Quayle. 
fuck uh, oh shit are you kidding me <laughs> yeah I swear to god i don't think i can spell tomato anyway actually <laughs> in all fairness i don't know that i can so what year if you if you want to tell me what yeah, year were you 81 81 all right so i'm 80 okay you're 81 yep february 4th okay do you align to all right let me put it this way i like astrology i don't it's not hard line like i'm not hard nosed about it and i don't think that everybody fits into it but aquarius is or aquarii when you meet other people that are Aquarii, there you get along with them. Yeah, you. I I feel like it's like a sixth sense. You kind of like get it. Yeah, you, you know. I mean, I I guess I never really followed astrology. Um, there was once uh an incident with a female who asked me like all these random questions. An incident. I like. Okay. Well, just good. you know, with interaction, yeah, she was yeah, like, yeah. "Hey, um, you know, I'm intrigued by you know a couple things. Like, what 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 is your birth date? You know, where were you born? What right. time were you born? And I'm like. She asking me all these questions. It turns out that you know there's you have three different signs. Uh-huh. Oh like, right, that's yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So apparently, all three of mine are Aquarius. Oh my god! Which I, I guess is really crazy. And so I'm, I'm now all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, I'm just like super Aquarius. So I, I feel like I have a sixth sense for Aquarius. Yeah. So this, this I in a dynamic. So when you well, let's say an argument, right, or like some kind of conflict, are you the guy that smooths it over? What is you? What do you feel like your best? hat is to put on in conflict i guess it depends on the interaction like who i'm conflicting with someone you love let's say okay. or, or like a lot <laughs> it's either either gonna i'm either gonna smooth it out or i'm just gonna be like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna walk away now Cause really? this is just yeah because it's like not it's just not a thing yeah most of the time i'd rather just i'd rather just be the guy that loses that's i think i don't know where i got so stubborn i don't maybe <laughs> that was one of the things getting you know my parents and that but i i feel like we can smooth stuff over. We'd have a calming effect. Do, do, do people tell you that? Like that you're easy to talk to? I, I hear you're easy to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's why, uh, especially in this industry, it's like, you know, if you're, it doesn't matter either side of the bar, if you're a bartender or you're a bar patron. Yeah. Um, I think you, if you're that type of person, it just makes your interaction so much easier, you know, and as a bartender, especially. Yeah. You know, just being able to converse with somebody about nothing or just everything. I think so. People tell you things, don't they? Yep. There are things that uh, do you have things that are what it, what is what do they call it in Seinfeld that are in the vault that people have told you like stuff oh that's yeah pretty dark yeah totally and I think that's an Aquarius thing yeah aligned man never yeah. it is I wonder what the opposite of that is I wonder who the the people that you don't tell the secrets to are may I take a guess yeah yeah, yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm intrigued I I think that God, I'm not a huge astrology person I just know kind of some basics I don't think fire signs. People okay. that maybe like Leos, and I love my wife dearly, but she's she's a Leo <laughs> and very fiery. And I, of course, we confide in each other. But I think that passion and that fire, it's not subdued enough for someone to want to go into this situation saying, "I'm going to open up and be vulnerable and tell you something that's really difficult." To Got talk it. About. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I uh, the astrology thing really just goes as far as my own sign. I don't really know. Like, well, yeah, we're still centered. Yeah, as part of the sign. <laughs> Damn it! I wish you were going to bring that up. Oh man, Dude, I, you're, you're you're meticulously groomed, and you got a beard that's obviously been you know evened out and stuff. So yes, self centered. Okay. It. I mean, you know, it just you know, it's appearances are everything. Yes, totally. <laughs> well, you're in L.A. or you were in L.A. Yeah, now I'm in Austin, so I guess you know. Our appearances, everything in Austin. I feel like this is the most LA of Texas. So, oh, really? Well, the, I, I, let me put it that way: Mo, the most California of Texas. Yes. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think it's an interesting blend of 
you have to look like you don't care but care <laughs> the passive chic i think that's also chic. like a millennial thing yeah, you know you it's so? kind of like yeah you know because we kind of did that with the whole grunge thing and our, oh, and yeah. our you know it was like i want to look as dirty as possible but i'm actually really clean <laughs> But the dudes in Seattle were like loggers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> but then maybe when it made it into middle America, it kind of changed a bit. Yeah. But so it, there's like some interesting chapters to this story. I know we'll talk about LA. We'll talk about your recent move to Austin. But admittedly, you are a New York guy. You grew up in Rochester? Grew up in Rochester, yeah. What? Well, I actually grew up in a small town called Naples, New York. Where is that? Uh, it's um, So there's five Finger Lakes. Uh-huh. In New York, and the farthest one west is called Canandaigua Lake, and at the base of that is a town called Naples. And I think currently they're at about twenty-two hundred people. Amazing. Yeah. What kinds of things do you do in Naples? Yeah. Um, you leave Naples? <laughs> no, I mean you just count your time yeah. till you leave. Right? <laughs> no, I mean I, my parents live there. I, they just bought a, a house there, so I went back for Thanksgiving to help them like put up drywall and insulation yeah. and stuff. Um, so you know, there's a lot of like. Farmland. There's a lot of. Uh, so it's rural. Yeah, very rural. What, like, what kind of industries were you focusing when you were living there? Uh, really interesting story. Um, my mother, she did like, uh, she helped veterans find jobs, so she oh, did permanent yeah. job placement for uh, disabled veterans. Wow. Uh, and my stepdad, who was in the family business, which was a cemetery, was an undertaker. Really? Yeah, he managed a cemetery. So his his father did that. Uh, I ended up working there when I was twelve. Do you, is it not intensely scary being a twelve year old? No, in cemetery? not really, because you know they they talk about like the graveyard shift. Like right. no one works the graveyard shift. So like at the end of the day, like you're working from eight to four. Same like same yeah. business hours. So it's actually just really pleasant because you're outside really? in the summer and you get a lot of sun and exercise and a tan. In the winter, it's horrible. Yeah, it's been bad. But I ended up doing that when I was 12. I ended up working there for a long time, but my stepbrother now runs it. So it's right. been in the family business for... Where, was the offer ever on the table for you to run it? Uh, yeah. What'd you think? Yeah, I didn't <laughs> do that. Um, no, I mean, it was it was interesting as a as a younger guy, but as I started growing up and I got into the industry that you know I'm currently in, I, when I was 15, I worked in a restaurant. When wow. I was 21, I started bartending. Oh, so, so all pretty... Yeah. Very much in the hospitality piece. What do you think... Well, all right, before we get there, because I always feel like, in a way, it's almost like this genetic proclivity to being in the industry, whether it's on the food side or whether yeah. it's on distribution or whatever. But you in high school, this dude, were you a music guy? Were you concerned about grades? What kinds of things were you getting into? Uh, I was definitely wasn't concerned about grades. <laughs> yeah. uh, there, was, there was a large <laughs> portion of me that was like, uh, this school thing is, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't know why I had to do it. Um, Again, the self-centeredness of an Aquarian. I, I can do this by myself. Yeah, right. it was more like I. When am I ever going to need calculus in life? Still, how do you feel about it now? I, I don't need calculus. <laughs> I, need I mean, it's difficult when I have to use the the piece of paper and like put the one over, you know, carry the one <laughs> in public. But aside yeah. from that, it's totally fine. Yeah, it all works. Yeah. Um. No, I mean, I I guess it was never my thing. Um, I graduated from high school. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Did of course. that. Um. Went on to college, and that was uh, short-lived. Um, what what field were you even pursuing? A couple different things. I mean, yeah. I went. I started with computer information systems, mm-hmm. and that was you know that was like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into computers. This is like a booming industry. I'm gonna like learn how to write code and all that stuff. And then after like a couple weeks of the computer lab, fuck yes, <laughs> I was like, uh, this is not for me. Well, um, you talk about something different than 
that's inward facing. If you want to deal with people, you don't become a coder, yeah, right? I learned that right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was something that I got away from right away and then, you know, changed my major a couple times. I actually ended up uh, with hospitality management. Really? Yep. So 15, you say you kind of had your first gig. Were you working at a restaurant, I imagine? Yeah, actually. So, you know, you kind of talked about the genetic thing. So my mother, when I was a young kid, she worked two different places. She worked at a Chinese restaurant at night Mm -hmm. and she worked at a diner in the morning. So ding, ding right there. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, something that I was raised in. Um, Literally, like I would go to the Chinese restaurant after school and you know eat dinner there and like, you know, we'd go home together and stuff like that. But, um, and then I ended up working at that Chinese restaurant when I was 15. Did you really? Yeah. Did they still remember your mom having worked? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. Even to this day. No shit. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting kind of family story that would take forever to talk about. But, um, you know, they were very, uh, uh, very tied and very close together, my, my mother and the owners. And yeah. so we, uh, when I was 15 and started busing tables there, it didn't matter how much work I did. Uh-huh. He would always give me a hundred dollars, no matter what. I swear to God, it was crazy. Not a bad deal for fifteen. Yeah. I think he also felt like like my mom helped him a lot with yeah. like um, to like purchase a car and like translate things. You know, kind of be like because he was also always very like um, socially awkward in a way. Mister really? Lee was a really Mr. great Lee. guy though. Wow, that's really incredible. Awesome. So yeah. you did you imagine it's exciting? I love. I always loved Chinese food when I was even a little. Yeah, kid. I still love Chinese food. Yeah. I I ate it for years. I still eat it. Vivid. It's yeah. just something. That you, it's called MSG. <laughs> There was actually like mommy. Yeah, um, seriously, there was a massive tub. It looked like an oil bin. Yeah, yeah. what do we call them? Oil um, barrel. Yeah, and it on the side it said MSG, and it was in the kitchen. I mean, it's great. Yeah, it's it just does salt, make man. stuff. And there's salt. not. There's still everybody thinks oh it gives you headaches. It's bad for you and things. Well, glutamates are good for you for one, but secondly, there's only been one study that links it even having remotely a headache. And that was it. I, I never had a headache from me drinking. neither. I'll maybe it was, it, it was all the booze that I drank with it that gave me a... It cancels it out, yeah. I think, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's it. <laughs> so you graduate high school, you do the college thing for a bit, and you're saying you're about 21, then the booze bug takes over? Is that when you start bartending? Yeah, I um, I worked at a couple of places in Rochester, um, and when I was, I guess maybe after a couple of years of doing that, which in Rochester, New York, by the way, I mean, if you bartend one night at a, a beer and shop pub... Mm-hmm. And you're making 300 bucks you know your rent's like 400 bucks a month like what oh man you know what i mean you're it's working life, like three or four it? nights a week yeah. and you can do whatever you want so it was it was the life and when you're like 21 22 23 like what do you it was it was just stupid the kind of trouble you get into how do you how do you even not get in trouble yeah no because you have so much time yeah and then you know all the bartenders the other thing was that there were so many cops that would come in i knew all the cops you know that's, that's I, bound to break get you some breaks now and again yeah. right? oh many times i actually went on a ride along with my friend uh, Christian, uh, and he took me uh, all over the place one day, just all the stuff that he would do. You know, yeah. we arrested a couple girls for stealing and <laughs> dropped them off at jail and stuff like that. Right. So you get to know, like, cops really intimately and, like, all the people in all the other bars. So on your days off, it's just like, you know, you go visit your friends at other bars and you never yeah. pay for anything. It's It was crazy. But, you know, I guess after I left Naples and moved to Rochester, I always just had, like, this thing that was like, I want to see more. Always, World, you know, yeah. there's always, like there's always an appetite for more and more. Yeah. So when I was 23, I moved to New York City uh, with my friend Sam, and we uh, uh, we got an apartment on the Upper East Side, and I slept on the couch, and it took me like three months to get a job. Some things never change, eh? dude. <laughs> still to this day, I'm waiting for my bed. It comes on Sunday. <laughs> Your van's gonna break soon enough, man. I promise. No more couches. One of these days. Um, they're comfortable though. Yes, very true. 
but that's good. So you're kind of setting roots. I mean, again, this may be like a brilliant new chapter, and I don't know if, if it was for love or whatnot, which we'll talk about. But that's always the thing, man. People are moving for women. I think that's that's yeah, all right. Love, love will drive you to the other side of the world. You know, is that so? Why did you not? I think everybody wants to go to New York City. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is this just pipe dream for many of us, and lots of people from Austin. It's not that big of a jump, so they go down there and hang out, and work out. They're in New York. What was it for you? Just the biggerness of it, the cultural epicenter of the world, kind of bit. To be honest with you, it was. I just knew. I can't even explain it. It was just. I knew that I had to do something else. I yeah. had to go somewhere else. You know. Um, I'd never traveled anywhere. Oh, really? You know, I'd been to Florida. My dad moved to Florida when I was a kid, so I'd been to Florida. I'd never been west of the Mississippi. I'd never left the country oh, wow. uh, except to go to Canada when I was nineteen because you could drink. Yeah. So that was and Canada's that was, amazing. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Toronto was awesome. Um, but you know, that, that was just, it was a part of me that was like, I just want to see more and do more. Yeah. So, um, my friend Sam got accepted to Parsons School of Design and I oh, wow. tagged along with her and we moved down there. That's so cool. Yeah. It was, it was the most trying, but also defining time in my life. Did, did you feel equipped coming from what is essentially a small kind of insular place to something that is ex- incredibly expansive in every way? I, it's interesting you say equipped because I think... No one who moves into that can be equipped unless you'd visited a few times. Yeah. But because I wasn't equipped, I think it's what got me so far because I was so curious. Oh, wow. You know, every corner I took, every time I went somewhere, I, I walked. I walked for hours and hours every yeah. day, you know, trying to find a job. You're going from place to place with a resume that has no New York experience. Right. So it took me a long time before it got to the point that I was like, okay, I can actually go in and talk to somebody and be like, oh, kind of BS my way through what I need to in order to get a job. And uh, it got down to like the wire. It was like, I've got five bucks in my pocket. Got to make this happen. What am I going to do? You know, and uh, I went onto Craigslist again, like I did every day. Mm. And I saw this cold call or cattle call. You know, they they bring a bunch of people in (laughs) and just like stand there. And I walk into this restaurant on 17th Street and it's like 30 people, and they're all looking for this one or two bartending gigs. Right. I'm like, crap, this is, what am I doing here? You know? Did you feel like you had like the skills to kind of After do three it? months, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because yeah, yeah. I've been turned down at even the worst of places. And um, so I sat down with the GM. I, I waited it out. I was like, all right, I'm just going to sit through it. Yeah. And I remember to this day, Dwayne, he, uh, he sat me down. He looked at me. He's like, you look like a very well put together young man. Can you start tomorrow? I was like, absolutely. <laughs> Yes. Amazing. You know, yeah. and it was like the moment that changed my life. But the funny part was I still only had five bucks in my pocket. So I had to walk to and from my apartment every day because I didn't have enough money to take the train sub- oh, until I got my paycheck. How, how far away was your place roughly? Oh, man, it was like an hour and 20 minute walk each way. Jesus. Yeah, that's crazy. insane. But, but you it, did it. I did it. And you know what? That The day I got my first paycheck, I went to the bar that a friend of mine was running who let me drink for free because yeah. he was like, until you find a job, I'll let you drink for free. And I walked in and I was like, I will have a bottle of Budweiser, not that crappy draft stuff you've been giving me. And I'm going to have chicken wings and I'm going to pay cash. And he was like, whoa. I was like, that's right. The I got big a job. Leagues. The big leagues. <laughs> it's symbolic though. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be the moment in which I think if, if you were writing a book, like kind of started there and then perhaps the, your career in the hospitality industry exploded. I mean, yep. maybe I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but no, it does. I, I agree 100% because from that experience working at... The Lobster Shack Ooh. version of the place that I was at. Yeah. There, were, there was a high-end high restaurant upstairs, and there was the, the Lobster Shack downstairs. Um, 
working there, I, I got to look at the wine list. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? There's like 400 white wines on here. I thought there were only like Pinot Red Grigio, white. <laughs> white Zinfandel, you know, yeah, I had yeah. no idea. And that's when I got into wine because I just, I was so curious. Again, my curiosity was yeah. just like. Uncovering every yeah. rock like you did. Yeah. So I, I ended up um, volunteering in the wine cellar. So like every Wednesday I would, I would go in there and I'd put all the wine away and I'd yeah. tag it and I'd put it on the shelf. Meanwhile, I was reading the wine Bible, looking at every label and just like curious. And I got really lucky because the group was expanding rapidly and they, uh, they were looking for people to help them run their wine programs. Oh, wow. And so they put us all through um, the quartermaster sommelier program. So the guy that ran the program was a master sommelier and he was really adamant that we all did it. So the company would pay for our, you know, paid for my intro, paid for my certified, paid for my advance. And so that from like an academic perspective, that was interesting to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it was something that I understood. It was something that I cared about and yeah. I knew was applicable to my life. I see. So maybe it is, again, <laughs> the, the Aquarius of me was like, you like to drink, figure out how to get paid for it. Yes. Make them bring you information about the thing you like. I mean, that's a, I, I get that, you know, I mean... We're not self-serving. We're people of the community. I very much believe that about Aquarius. We're here for other people. But I think when it comes to our intellect and the cerebral nature, we want kind of the info to come to us. But we'll go and we'll get it, you know. So how long did it take you to go through that whole process? And did you end up coming out of that with a certification? Yeah, so I uh, the first year, it took me about three months. Uh, I got my intro. Uh, that was pretty easy. That's yeah. kind of the the easiest level uh the next year i got my certified um and then two years after that or about a year and a half later i took my advanced in cincinnati probably the reason why i hate cincinnati um <laughs> i took my my advance and i uh, i didn't pass i failed theory yeah which was probably the thing that discouraged me the most because i was it was the thing that i knew i needed work on the most yeah, yeah. um because it's just it's so intense it's really you know in every level exponentially harder and the third level was just the theory was it was too much it was past beyond right. my my grasp and so um i felt really comfortable with tasting i felt really comfortable with service obviously i did it every night mm. um, i worked the floor as a sommelier for five years so it was something that i i understood but the theory was just out of control would you say that that was the point in where you maybe broke up with the academic side of wine um i would say that it's probably the point that i I don't want to say I broke up with wine, yeah. but we were separated. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, for I mean, sure. We're uh, going to try some other things yeah. <laughs> out for a little bit, right? Um, but it, that was also a really amazing time for me because I was in Los Angeles at the time. I had opened a restaurant for that group, and I got to meet all of these crazy people getting into cocktails and fresh juices yeah. and stuff. And at that time, I guess maybe it was like nine years ago now, at that time, nine years ago in Los Angeles, that just it wasn't really a thing. Yeah. You know, the the... The varnish hadn't opened. Mm. There, there weren't all of these places that there now are. Um, but I got to be a part of a group that started that, you know, and that wow. was really amazing to me to to see all these people so passionate about something that they really didn't know everything about. Right. Like now, all this information about bartending. Oh, it's everything. a great time to be alive it's, now. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's great. Even, I mean, the average consumer will come in and school you on a temporary cocktail. Yeah, sons of bitches. You know, and you're like, well, okay, <laughs> you know, I've been to Ireland. Okay, I, I know what's up here. But, you know... It was an amazing thing, and I moved back to New York right after that. Spent a couple of years. Well, so there. what took you to to LA in the first place? So I worked for that restaurant group for four years. Okay. So I 
worked at two of the restaurants in New York. I see. So yep. they, they can just transfer you and you yeah. can go work. I went around to kind of open up the beverage program. Gotcha, gotcha. Went to DC for two years. Oh, cool. Went to LA for a year, back to New York. Which So since you're getting a wonderful taste of both sides and with a little bit of DC sprinkled in, you as a person, as an, as an Aquarian, as a dude who's really intelligent, which side did you align with more? Because New York is kind of almost diametrically opposed to the lifestyle in Los Angeles. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're so, so different. Well, I think that their energies are very different and the things that the people that are there for life, yeah. their goals in life are different. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're if you're a New Yorker, I think the thing that appealed the most in, about New York to me was the just the intellect, yeah. but also the culture and the history. And there's just a drive that people have. Mm-hmm. It's just an internal thing. Like, I, I kind of carried it along with me even even into Los Angeles, because it was something where I knew that every day you had to wake up and get what you want. You know what I mean? You have to that, hustle. Basically. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And then you get to LA and it's like, hey man, it's cool. We're just, we're just hanging we're out. Hey, you want to go to the beach and just <laughs> sit around? <laughs> I and, saw that commercial yeah. Rob Lowe fucking around in swimsuit or whatever. you sit in the sun and do nothing for a while? You know? Sure. <laughs> but there's also a very, uh, you know, it's very endearing thing about that. Like people learning to like, actually enjoy what this thing is that we call life that's a good point too I, I think you're right if you've got your head down and you're moving forward all the time to be completely kitschy you don't ever have time to stop and smell the roses which is where all the good stuff comes from yeah you know and I, I think that's interesting i mean you have the the ambition of a new yorker and that you're willing to uncover whatever you need to uncover career-wise academically intellectually was it did it become a way did it stifle you then when you ended up moving after so you go New York LA New York but then back to LA that last time well the it's funny because I moved back to New York stayed there for a couple more years and it was it was strange because I felt like the city changed but really it was just it was me that changed you when know what I mean so coming know. back to New York it was like oh man this is this is where I like found myself I'm, I'm really excited to move back to New York yeah I got a great job. Like I'm gonna live in Soho. I'm gonna do all the things I want to do. And after a couple of months, I was like, you know, the city is what the city always is: it's ever evolving, ever changing. Right, right. Still has the same feel and vibe. But I'm just a different person because I just spent the last three years in two different cities, mm. again finding more out about myself. And it just, it was just a little different. Yeah. And I think maybe also experiencing the weather of Los Angeles for a full year was kind of nice. Yeah. Because <laughs> coming back to New York in the middle of winter was uh, like, oh, why did I do this? Yeah. Did um, you think you were looking for different things for your, I gotta, I, this is not turning into a spiritual <laughs> conversation, I promise you, but different things for your soul. You know what I mean? There are different parts in our life where we're really looking for different things to fill that cup. Yeah, I think a lot of it was, was that, I mean, we're going to get real deep here, sure. but, um, you know, I had like a, a breakup with someone in Los Angeles that mm. almost also drove me back to New York oh, wow. to a place where I felt comfortable and knew that maybe it could recharge my batteries a little bit. Yeah. Um, which it did, and it revived me in a couple ways. I I ended up opening a hotel there and meeting um, some people that are really still influential in my life. Mm. Um, which so I'm really happy that I did it. But after two years and after opening a massive hotel um, as the beverage director, I was like spent. You know, because you're working. The first day we opened, I was there 23 hours. Yeah. So it's one of those things where, like, you know, working 12 or 16 hours a day for three months straight is like, okay, this is not what I want. Yeah. 
So that's when I decided to go back to LA. Um, so I'm really happy that I did that. And I'm happy that I had all of those transitions because if I hadn't, I wouldn't understand as much as I do about life and about what it means to like give yourself what you need yeah. you know, and to find that. Some people, especially in this industry, I don't know if you, I think you've probably noticed this as well, but they put their body up on a cross for the sake of just being 100%. out there. And that's the thing I think you learn when you get a little bit older is that you don't have to sacrifice your health for your career or for family. You know what I mean? Like you can, yeah. there is a balance. And did you think that you struck that finally getting out of New York and it's slowing it down in LA? Uh, I most certainly didn't because then I opened a <laughs> restaurant and I made uh, a third of the money that I was making in New York, oh, but no. I did it cause I loved it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I opened this restaurant. We were there for, I was there for two and a half years. Um, Again, met some really great people. Um, there's actually a restaurant here in Austin, uh, and one of the chef's owners is somebody I worked with. Which one? Olame. No shit. Yeah, That's Michael Michael spot. Fotogé. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was um he was a sous chef, and I was the GM. Oh, that man, lovely spot, dude. Biscuits, biscuits, dude. The oh biscuits, they're the best. I had dinner there a couple weeks ago. It was one of the best meals it's I had insane. all year. Yeah, it well, is a... all, I guess, yeah. calendar year. Yes. Oh, yeah. very well. Yeah. Wait, you uh, just missed it. You yeah, just just by a few days. Yeah. So this kind of, ah, what, what's the word, efficiency or prof- proficiency as a bartender, I think that you were there experimenting thing, with things that, that we hadn't even, that wasn't commonplace yet. You talk about fresh juices, which now we kind of look at like, really? Yep. It's easy to squeeze a fucking lime yep. and make a daiquiri or make a margarita or whatever. But you're kind of <clears throat> ahead of that stuff. So I imagine early on, because you've got such a laundry list of brain work that you've done, what was that first kind of transition into brand work were you doing that all the time or were you doing a mix of beverage directing and the brand work um the brand okay so when i moved back to new york from los angeles the first time the only time i moved back to new york um i worked for a winery Mm -hmm. a a russian river based pinot producer oh cool so as the east coast sales manager i was you know i was tasked with selling mostly and it was something that Really, I, I learned very early on how much I hated selling like in the wine it, business. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that sort of brand work to me was not appealing because I just, I didn't get the same gratification mm. from it. Um, some people are just driven by that sort of thing. Sure. I, I just was not. Um, but after two and a half years at uh, the restaurant in LA, I had visited Mexico a couple times. Um, I went to Mexico for the first time, I think probably like six years ago. Yeah. Um, on a trip to the town of Tequila to visit some distilleries. And it just like immediately changes everything. Yeah, it changed my life. I was like, this is this is amazing. You know, and the 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 physical effort that goes into making that one particular spirit yeah. just blew my mind. So you know, having worked closely with a lot of brands when you're when you're at a successful restaurant right. or you're running a successful program, you know, you get a lot of attention from brands. Um having worked closely with a couple big brands, um, specifically like Absolute, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I was approached by the Absolute company to launch Absolute Elix when they launched it in LA yeah. uh, to work for them. And I just, you know, I said, hey, I love your brand, love what you guys do, but it's just not for me. It's not my it's not my wheelhouse. And I really love tequila. You know, I was like, and I, I know that you have this brand, Olmeca Altos, and I, mm-hmm. I would feel really fortunate if I could work on the brand. And they were like, oh, that... That just started. We're not going to have any money on that brand. It's just, you know, it's yeah. down the road, maybe a few years. Um, and I was but like, But the okay. seeds are planted. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I was like, okay, cool, whatever. You know, went back to doing what I was doing and I was really happy with where I was at. But, you know, it intrigued me. 
Um, and then about a month later, I get a phone call from a guy, and he was like, he he was working on the brand and had worked on it since the launch. Wow. And he was like, hey, man, my visa's all messed up. I can't stay in the States. I got to go to Mexico. Um, would you be interested in taking my job? Oh, wow. And so, you know, got a phone call. and Because like, of a visa thing. Yeah. And so I ended up taking his job as the West Coast ambassador for Altos. That's incredible. So it was very fortuitous. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, cool, you got brand work. Like, that's great. You know, everybody gets a phone call someday and they're like, hey, do you want to work for so-and-so? No, but this is the brand you want. Exactly. So when people come to me and they're like, oh, I mean, cool, like, you're working on this brand, but you're just doing it because it's your job. I'm like, uh, you don't really get it. Like, I asked for this job. Yeah, it's not like you're online dating. Like, you met this thing organically and you developed a passion and romance yeah. for it on your own. Yeah. Which is it. It's an amazing thing. Yeah, and I, I think also it helped, like, the, the p- portfolio, like, Pernod Cards is one of my favorite portfolios, so it was easy for me to transition into the family, Yeah, and I really enjoyed the, the family-type environment that they created. Um, but again, it was my first run at this sort of thing, so it was it was a strenuous couple of years. In the what, what do you think, like, you personality-wise, what do you think is your kind of approach to brand work just in general? Is it moving units? Is it developing deep relationships? What, what do you really enjoy about it? I mean, I think everybody has their own thing, obviously. Yeah, exactly. like, like you mentioned, there's a couple different approaches. But for me, you know, I really care about what we do. I genuinely love our product. I, and what we're doing is not trying to take over the world. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of brands are out there like, I want all the shelf space. I want all the cocktails on the menu. I want all of that. I want to take all these other brands off the shelf. That's, that's not what we're trying to do. Yeah. And I think the more people understand and, and hear and see what we're trying to do, which is really create an amazing, well-made product at mm. an affordable price. It was created by two bartenders who were based in Europe who wanted to do exactly that. You know, they legitimately were like, hey, we're in, and if you travel anywhere outside of the country, you, you realize that because of our geographic proximity to Mexico and because of brands like Patron that, yeah. that build the luxury tequila category, we're really fortunate to be agave crazy at this point. Oh, yeah. Other parts of the world, they, you know, they oh, don't have yeah, that. Yeah, you still, man, you find mezcal in Mexico, good luck. Or excuse me, mezcal in China. I mean, really, yeah. really good luck. It's almost, depending on methanol and stuff, there's some stuff going on. But you're right. We're, we're here. California's a great strategic place to be. Texas, Laredo specifically, warehouses so much of the world's mezcal in the world. Yep. Tequila. But it's funny because do you see a lot of commonality between wine and terroir and the different varietals there and mezcal and sotol and tequila. You see that same kind of level of academic value? Um, well, it's funny you bring that up because I always, I always touch on this during my trainings because it's um, obviously wine is such a large part of my background. Yeah. But what I learned in wine, and it actually there was a pivotal moment that I understand what the word terroir meant. Yeah. And terroir to me, obviously to anyone, is you know, a sense of place. It's about where something comes from. Right. So... Um, it happened to me. I was in Burgundy for a couple of weeks, and we were with um, Olivier Lefleve, who who has a he's a, a, um, a domain holder that has many different parcels all mm-hmm. over Burgundy. And they took us out to the to the vineyard sites, and we were standing right in between one vineyard site, uh, Bienvenue Batard Montrachet, and then mm-hmm. Batard Montrachet, okay. and they're literally con- they're joined by land. Obviously, yeah, yeah. it looks exactly the same. If you were to not know that the sign was there, you wouldn't know which one was which. Gotcha. And they had a bottle of wine from each that were produced exactly the same way. They weren't even labeled. They were right. r- really fresh. And we tasted both of them, and they were completely different wines. So crazy. And to me, Matter I was like... yards. Exa- I'm right. liter- I mean, yeah. feet. Feet, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And it was one of those things I was like, man, I get it. Like, I really understand what that means now. Mm. And the thing with that is that you've got grapes that are growing for like 10 months, 
something like that, you know, nine months right. from, from beginning to end. Agave spirits are growing anywhere from six to eight to 10 to 20. I've had a 30 year old agave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and like everything that goes into that, you know, nine or 10 months of growing that grape is so much more intensified in agave because all of those years are compounded. Yeah. So to me, agave spirits are, they speak to you. They speak to you about their history. It's like cutting a tree and looking at the rings and seeing what the weather was like. Absolutely. You know, so to me, like agave spirits hold so much more in them. And I think it's something that, I relate to it because of that. And my experience going to Mexico was just like immediately. I was like, I get it. Yeah. I understand what you guys are doing, you know, and seeing the physical labor that it takes to do it. It was just like watching people harvest by hand, you know, harvest grapes by hand. Yeah. It's amazing connection to the land. I think in the West, we call it the West, especially in the concrete jungles like New York or DC to a lesser degree, we're removed from the process. This is one of the things I think that's been great about the food resurgence and handmade cocktails and stuff so that you watch people do a thing from a, you take a raw ingredient and you turn it into something yep. and i think that that's the change in the narrative and the way that people look at what they consume now hence why agave is becoming i think such an amazing emerging market you know? yeah and i think i mean tell me what you think i now finally after years of being in this industry people are asking me how something's made yeah. Before it was, you know, people look at the back bar of a, uh, a bar and they see a bunch of spirit bottles and they just don't understand that there's agriculture behind it. Right. They don't get that every single bottle that's up there, there's some piece of land or something where this came from. Totally. And they just think that it's all the same, you know, and it's like, oh, tequila, like, you know, I can't drink that stuff. I had a really bad experience or, right, right. or even, you know, whiskey or even, you know, gin or whatever. Mm -hmm. And little do they know that there's, you know, centuries of history behind this and, and behind the land where it came from. Yeah. And I think our connection now with agriculture is, has kind of skyrocketed that opinion, which is great. Absolutely. Farm to table is a thing that people understand. My parents understand that. Yep. No, they're, they're great hip parents and very progressive, but that actually means something now. Organic produce means something, you know, and, Maybe, God, in the flying face of what's going on politically in the country, maybe us being more concerned about the substance and the, the life of something and stop looking at a bottle by its cover and be more concerned about where it comes from, that sense of place. Like Maybe that speaks about us as a people. Maybe we're improving. Maybe we're getting more compassionate. I mean, I would like to think that we as a whole are, but I think it's <laughs> yeah. a very small few, you know, but we're, we're getting there. I love this bubble, though. Yeah. It's a great bubble <laughs> no, for no, us. I'm, yeah. Listen, I love the bubble. Yeah. <laughs> if, if it was a big jar of Kool-Aid, I'd be I'd be swimming in it right now. <laughs> Absolutely. So so we can smile and be like, yeah, this is great. You know, we're sipping mezcal's agave marmorata that is over 30 years old, you know? I mean, fucking yes, this is the time to be alive in, yeah. in this industry. Yeah, I mean, I... I the only hesitation I have is things like that are just um, just waiting for that moment where we just Americanize it and we right. just it just it's a, a necessity for everyone. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, that's not really something we can accomplish. Yeah. Um, so I think the other important part to to brand work out there for me is doing it the right way and making sure that who you are working for, no matter who you're working for, is mm -hmm. is thinking about that, you know, and the sustainability factor. Of right. it. Because at the end of the day, like, sure, we can get out there and promote our product and we can sell it to everybody and we can make it something that everybody wants, but uh, can we provide it the right way? Can yeah. we still provide a quality product? Delicious or, every time. Right. Yeah. Or do we have to reduce the quality of it in order to get it out there? Yeah. Um, so I think there's there's a very fine balance of that. And I think that very few people do that. 
um, there's some really great people out there doing it, and I'm, yeah. you know, they're my, you know, Compadres. idols, and yeah, yeah, no, and the people that I would most certainly, you know, help out in any way. Absolutely. So how long have you been with Altos now, total? Well, so I or have you. Uh, I worked yeah. with them for four years, and then I left for a year and a half. Okay. Um, and then I just came back. Uh, well, officially came back on the first full time. Really. Uh, moving here to Austin, yeah. So this, gosh, you probably achieved. I mean, it's so cool because it's like we're getting to see this whole picture unravel, right? So you're starting as a dude in the hospitality industry doing some things, but you know, not barbacking, but uh, busing. Then you move to making drinks. And I, I will throw this out there. I was a barback for two years. Oh, I okay. bet. Oh, oh yeah. dude, I just as you it know, goes I without sure, saying. Just want to make sure everybody knows I carried cases of beer for two years. <laughs> dude, I, I mopped the floor. It's I cool. have no doubt. Like I called it. So that's the thing in the music industry. Like, have you ever? Did you ever do like carry all the amps and set up drums for people? No. Then you haven't barback. <laughs> it's the same thing, right? Like yeah. carrying those fucking heavy amps upstairs and all that. But I goes. I can. I can read it in the beer. Just man. put it out there. Just yeah, put it out there. I love it. I love it. <laughs> But you've kind of traversed on these all all these different elements of the industry and everything kind of coming to be where it was in LA. What was that moment or what was the opportunity that you're like, it's time to move on and do something else, a new frontier here in Austin? Um, well, there's a couple layers to this. I mean, yeah. the working for the brand um, is it's kind of second nature to me. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that you understand first when you work for a brand is that you are the brand, you know, and, and people are like, it's 24 seven, mm -hmm. you know, there's never a moment when you're not. That's, that's, that's tough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Believe me. There's, there's a lot of times I'm like, Oh man, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if I said the right thing there. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't want them to think poorly of the brand, you know, but you know, a lot of the time you have your own opinions of things and it's, it's hard to hold back, but yeah. Oh yeah. But it's, I, it's, I like that though. Because get that's why you get hired. They don't want someone to be so clear cut and white bread that it doesn't bring introduce some edginess. I mean, you got to have the integrity, so that comes along with you. The reputation that comes along with you, your actual experience. So you're bringing all this stuff into Austin. So you said you rejoined with Altos as of the this calendar year. Yeah. So okay. officially, uh, I started again full time on the first of the year. Um, but I'd come back in. Uh, I guess it was September, mm -hmm. kind of part-time. So I was also, I have another project called Mixwell, That's right, yeah. which is a soda company. Um, Founded by a fellow bartender. Now yeah, Billy Ray, really good friend of mine, uh, lives in Los Angeles, bartender for a very long time. Um, that launched last December. Mm -hmm. um, it's been it's been really crazy. It, one of the most... Some really cool flavors, too, if I recall. Yeah. Um, so Billy did all the flavor compiling oh, he, wow. he created them all actually out of out of his kitchen oh amazing um so the the flavors are really meant to pair obviously with with spirits mm. hence the name um but you know the obviously the one i gravitated towards first was the uh, mojave grapefruit soda yeah which yeah. obviously you know Loma. for me tequila paloma yeah um we actually went down to mexico and we filmed a video about the paloma we actually went to really uh la capilla which is a a bar in yeah. um, in tequila yeah but, but world renowned now yeah yeah uh don javier delgado corona the guy that owns the place um he's a lot older now he's in his 90s in his mid 90s so he doesn't he doesn't actually really bartend anymore yeah um but his nephew Aaron, um was kind enough to sit there for the day with us shoot some video talk on camera just kind of be cool. like hey like what do you think of this product like talk to us about your history kind of you know give yeah. us give us a lowdown on the paloma and, and your uncle and all of that, and it was a really awesome experience. So that was like probably the 
the one like pivotal moment where I was like, man, I really do love this sort of work, you know, because it, yeah. it's not just going in and like selling a product. It's legitimately there is a product that you really care about and it's expressing to other people how you care about it. Mm-hmm. And it, I think a lot of brand people, they come in and they come in like a bull and they're just like, I want this, I want that. And it's like, that's not my approach. You know, for me, it's like, I've got a great product. I'd be happy to share it with you. If you want to hear about it, cool, let's talk about it. If you don't, no big deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? I I feel it. That's exactly how I Yeah. And I think that our approach with Mixwell is, um, it's very bartender focused, obviously. Um, But it's also something that's like, dude, we have a really great product here. But we don't really care. We don't want you to just look at our product. We want to, we want to showcase bartenders. Yeah. You know, so a big thing for us is like filming in every city that we go, we film bartenders. Mm -hmm. And we talk about why they do what they do. I saw Ryan was in one of those videos, Mr. Yeah. Sumner, which he's a Dallas guy, and then he moved yeah. out there. So, dude, love good Ryan. Dude. Yeah, really good. Amazing guy. guy. Expecting a kid now too. Yeah, yeah. He and Maxine, poor, poor, poor both of them are in the video. Yeah. Oh, is that really? Yeah, oh, Maxine's yeah. in the video as well. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, but you know, and then we did the one in Vegas, and uh, Nick Tolly, who owns Herbs and Rye, oh, yeah. um, was in it, and he actually had a he had an awesome spot, man. It, like. You know, some of these videos like bring me to tears because the bartenders are like so passionate, and yeah. I can't tell you how many people cry during them because it's just wow. like it's a moving experience. Yeah, bro. it's it's why you do what you, why are you who you are? Yeah, you know, and we we want to showcase the fact that we are bartenders that we're providing a really awesome product, but we want to showcase like other bartenders, and right. that's always been our focus. It's about the people. Yeah, it always is. So really excited about that too. So you find yourself in Austin, which is a great market for both tequila and mixing. Uh, adjuncts we could call it there's many different ways what's the format so you guys have th- is it three flavors of the mix wall yeah so we do uh, we have the mojave grapefruit, grapefruit soda yeah we have a young ginger ale uh then we have a dandelion tonic oh man and they're all in resealable cans oh that's so brilliant. the first resealable cans in america yeah how did, what's the uh there's a there? there's a german company called exo solutions and we uh kind of partnered with them um the top is is really unique looks like a regular top except mm-hmm. it's got the a black plastic piece and it What's kind of cool is underneath the top, there's another piece that has like a rubber seal. Uh-huh. So once you open the top and slide it back, it opens, and then you slide it back and seal it, and it seals back up. That's incredible. And it holds carbonation for two days. Holy shit, that's insane. Yeah. And so, these are six and a half ounce? Twelve uh, ounce. Twelve ounce. They, well, Even better. Because you can... You Reseal can, it? Yeah. So I think a lot of the time people, they pick up the like eight ounce little pop tops. Right. Use half of it and it's gone. So and you're then saving money for everybody. Yeah, for sure. It's it's cheaper per ounce, and it's also you know you can reuse it. The other thing is that we want all natural, like you know, um, organic agave nectar. Yeah. You know, natural cane sugar stuff like that. I'm sure you can taste it. Yep, it's delicious. Man, so again, you know, it's it's great to that we finally got to connect, and it's really a shitty day. I mean, it's cold as fuck outside. Dude, this is crazy. <laughs> I can't deal with this. You, pro- which is funny, right? Because yeah. Love- and I guess it's good. You moved to LA for the weather. You moved to Austin. Now the weather would be good. And then yeah, I'm just I mean, a backhanded slap. Luckily, I've been coming here for four years, so like I've experienced a little bit here and there. So yeah. I knew what I was getting into. So, so what are you looking? Like, let's let's look at like the next year. So you're in Austin. Austin's in a great place culinarily in terms of mixology and hospitality. What do you do? You have anything specifically that you really want to accomplish while you're here? Um, I mean, obviously the brand guy is going to be like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I really yeah. want to, you know, you grow personally, the brand. how about that? But let's, but let's be honest. You, I, I am that person because yeah. why else would I have come back to do it? Sure. But at the end of the day, like we have some really cool, awesome projects coming. Um, especially with Altos where we do a global competition called Tahona Society. Mm. And this will be the first year out of the, um, nine years. Well, not seven, seventh year 
uh, out of the seven years that we've been doing it that somebody from Texas will get to compete and go uh-huh. to this global competition. We've had winners like Charles Joe Lee won one year. Wow. Um, and they're competing against like 20 other countries around the world. So it's the first time that I can actually do an event where we can have somebody from Texas win and go yeah. with two other Americans. Um, so that's one. And then we've got a couple of, you know, really cool, like fun little things for bartenders that we're going to do. Um, just really cool events that I'm really excited about. And I think over the next year, it'll be great for me to get to know the city more, the people here. Obviously, I've yeah, you know, a lot well. of the, we know a lot of the same folks. Yeah, sure. but it, it'll be great to, you know, to become more of the, a part of the, the scene, which is yeah. cool. I'm excited about well, so I want to kind of step outside. Maybe this is someone that drinks a lot or is in the booze industry, but taking all this brand work away and you kind of as an intellectual dude, I, I've only started recently asking this question and I've got some really interesting answers. This is what I'm going to ask you. So you're at a hotel bar. Shit, let's say the Savoy. You're just hit, hanging out, drinking at the bar. And if there was anybody in history that's dead, alive, ghost, doesn't matter, who would you like to sit at that bar and just share a drink and chat with? Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give my answer, yeah. but I'm going to preface it. Are you going to qualify it? I'm, I'm going pre- to preface <laughs> it by saying that, um, maybe it's not a person that I necessarily have read their work yeah, or all of their work, let's sure. say, but because of my experiences, I'd like to, you know, yeah, get to know a little bit about it. So I'm going to say Ernest Hemingway. Okay. Um, because of, course. Of, of my, you know, multiple trips to Cuba. Like I, I love Cuba. I think it's an amazing culture. Yeah. Um, Obviously, I, I really hope that in the next couple of years, things change for them. Um, but I, I want to know more about that guy. You know, the guy that just yeah. kind of put himself in, in solitude or the guy that was just, you know, on a boat fishing. And, you know, wh- what was his life like and how did he get there? And, you know, what was his drive? What was his passion? Yeah. Probably it's, one of the most intriguing people to me. I think so, too. And I think he fought. There's lots of rumors about Hemingway and latent homosexuality and stuff, which may be a piece of it. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But you think you guys would get in a fight? Um, I think we would be the best of friends for a few hours, <laughs> and then we'd definitely get in a fight at the end. Drink four. It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, 16 uh, daiquiris later. Yeah, no, I don't know. I, I would like to think that we would be the, the best of friends. But from my understanding, he, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't the kind of person that you know, came out as the best of friends all the time. From what I understand. Yeah. And ironically, my parents are in Key West right now. They just oh, cool. visited his house. No way. Yeah, I really want to get down there. Bunch of cats. Six-toed cats, apparently. Wow. That's crazy, right? That's crazy. Yeah. Well, it's been brilliant chatting with you. I'm glad we finally got to make this happen. I know. I, I apologize. I really... Not a worry. Man, the schedule is insane. And then also, I just don't know how to put something <laughs> in the calendar, obviously. <laughs> well, this time, you've got your ID, so I can make sure it's you. Yep. Which is good. And I'll see you next week at the San Antonio Cocktail Conference. Awesome. Doing a lot of cool stuff. And I'll bring some uh, fine mezcals and we'll have to exchange some sips. Awesome. Thanks so much for chatting. Yeah, thank you. Well, there we have it. The sensible, the warm, the Aquarian himself, Mr. Daniel Warlow of Mixwell Mixers. I haven't had a chance to try them yet, but they sound incredibly intriguing, interesting ingredients. And Altos Tequila, a staple tequila in many back bars near you. So it's great getting to talk to Daniel. I mean, I I say this all the time. It's great getting to talk to people. It's great getting to talk to people. But we're born into this familiarity with one another's kind of personalities or demeanors. And in a sense, it was kind of like talking to myself, which is a great thing because right now, really talking into a microphone, it's like I'm talking to myself. So Daniel, thank you so much for the sherry and Godspeed on your efforts with Mixwell and Los Altos Tequila. 
And thank you for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter what you do to prepare for a long European excursion or what kind of whiskey you feel like drinking today on the first day of spring, please keep dancing.